0: Vandeham
1: Sri Guru Sri Uta Parakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnamamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajatham Sahagana Raghunathanvitam Sadivam Sādvaitam Sāvadhūtam Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakānvitam Schao Umagena timirandasya gyanangena shalakaya chakshurun militam yena tasmai sri gravena maha siddhantut palasaran iterasikam ham sammila satmakam audariakya sudhamasevakadanam vishlam babakti pradam yachna yuktivichakshanam vagabido vaisish dashaktiya sada. Vande haṁ hum, tripurari namakayatim shri bhaktivedantinam. Punchakalpatrubiascha, kripasindu bhyaivacha. Patitanam pavani bhu na mona Namo maha vadanyaya, Krishna prima pradayati. Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya namane go to Krishna kruna dina vandho dra gat pate gopesa gupika kantara dha kanta namas radhe brinda vani sari devi pranamami harit tri ve Tulasi brindayaitulasudevi ai priyayai krishna krsnabhakti prade devi sattivatte namo namaha <coughs> bhancha tatvatmakam krsnam bhakta rupa Bhakta vatara namami bhakta shaktikam. Jay shri krishna jaytanya krishna bruminichananda shed vaitagradharashivasa shiko vakta vrinda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama, Rama Hare 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 Nama, Hare Nama, Ivakivalam. Kalaonastyevanastyevanastyevagatiranyatam So welcome, dear devotees, welcome Rajasundari, and uh, anybody else listening to this later on. Today we're co- continuing, but well, I'm continuing with uh, this Bhagavatam lectures that I've been, been giving uh, as part of these uh, Sangha lectures. The last part was called The Questions of the Sages of Naimi Sharanya, and uh, that dealt with uh, the largest part of the first chapter of the first canto, so we're quite at the beginning of the Srimadha Bhagavatam. The first chapter begins with these uh, rather majestic verses, very Vedantic verses when I I, I think of the beginning of the Bhagavatam, I'm a rather visual person, so I, I like to think of the Bhagavatam as, as starting out in this uh, in the Himalayas, so we have these majestic Himalayan views and, and these Versus kind of booming out over the mountains. But then the camera in my Bhagavatam, my movie Bhagavatam, it it goes down from the hills and it comes to this forest, this great forest. And there it's kind of panoraming over this forest. And then you can see a whiff of smoke going up. And the camera goes there towards the smoke, goes down between the trees. And then we are at Naimi Charanya, the sages uh, doing their thousand-year sacrifice and really getting only black from the smoke. So they go up to Sutta Goswami, as they want to do. This is what they've been doing already for, for probably years. All the Puranas, they are told in this setting of Naimisharanya, the sages asking Sulta questions. So, they started out doing a sacrifice for going to heaven. But hearing Suta Goswami speak, the Puranas, their understanding has changed. They've heard now the Sattvika Puranas, they've heard about Vishnu, they've heard about Bhakti even to some extent. So they want to know more. So they question Sutta, with all those questions that we heard about in the uh, last uh, part of this series, six questions, and Sutta Goswami, he will then reply to their questions. And the Bhagavatam would be a short book if uh, <laughs> if that's where it would end, because it takes him about two uh, two chapters to answer the questions, these six questions. But of course, each answer leads to new questions. And each of the questions, as we heard last time, they're all very deep and very profound. So there's many things that can be said about them. So let's pick up the thread of the story at the beginning of the second chapter to see what happens next. We've heard the questions. Then. The son of Ramaharshana, being fully satisfied by the perfect questions of the Brahmanas, thanked them and thus attempted to reply. And he begins his, his reply in as perfect a way as the sages asked him in perfect way. There's a, a science to asking questions. That's something that we heard about last time. But there's also a science to answering questions. Um, one thing that I really learned from our Guru Maharaj is that a good teacher is a teacher who can reply to a question that, other, that pe- some people in the audience will think is a silly question. But there's no silly question for the, the person who asks the question. Let's say you're giving a a lecture on Krishna's to Bhagavan Svayam. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And you speak about this for an hour and then at the end one person raises the hand his hand and asks uh, I liked everything that you said but I'm wondering who is the Supreme Personality of Godhead? So you might feel But if you are a good teacher like our Guru Maharaj, then you'll realize that for whatever reason, that person didn't get the point. That person maybe was distracted. Maybe that person was conditioned by something he had heard before. So now you have a chance to really set the matter clear. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead but an excellent teacher like our Guru Maharaj can answer a question which others will think is silly in a way that will then benefit the rest as well, saying perhaps something like, uh, this is a good question because this gives me a chance to to, uh, note how Godhead uh, is actually non-dual truth advaya Tatva, and how can you have something which is supreme within non-duality if you have a whole mass of being how can one part of that being be supreme it doesn't make any sense but and then the, the person could introduce then the idea of, of rasa vichara how From the point of Siddhanta, there's no difference between various uh, aspects of the divine. But from the, the point of view of Rasa or the point of view of Bhava, there may be differences. So then that kind of answer is an answer that would give something to everybody in the audience, not just the one who asked. So there's a science to asking questions. There's also a science to answering. And Sutta Goswami is going to, be just as exemplary in answering as the sages were in asking. So he begins by offering his pranama. He begins by offering his obeisance to his own teacher. Uh, the second chapter of first canto, it's probably one of the most kind of quote-worthy chapters. Practically every verse here is one that we should learn by heart. Beginning with this second verse here, Sutta says, "Yam <laughs> brahrajantam anupetam apetakretam dwipayanu virahakatara ajhava putre titanmayataya tara tam sarvabhu tari ta yam Brahma translates. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto that great sage who can enter the hearts of all. When he went away to take up the renounced order of life, leaving home without undergoing reformation by the sacred thread or the ceremonies observed by the higher castes, his father Vyasadeva, fearing separation from him, cried out, Oh, my son! Indeed, only the trees, which were absorbed in the same feelings of separation, echoed in response to the begrieved father. (laughs) This is so dramatic. This boy, he leaves immediately. Uh, Shukadeva, he's said to have have stayed for 16 years in the womb of his mother, fearing material, birth in the material world and material uh, attachment. So immediately when he's born, without undergoing any of the ceremonies of the twice-born, None of the samskaras, the rituals of purification. He just goes straight away. And his father calls after him, and only the trees reply, only the echo drifts back. So, Shukadeva, in other words, the point here is Shukadeva is completely detached. He has not even a trace of attachment, which makes him. A very interesting kind of teacher uh, a teacher needs to be detached nobody is going to get much out of a teacher who has obvious favorites who uh, likes only to speak about diff- a particular topic and so on there is of course room for for such things sometimes we can find that endearing even if we have a teacher who is who, uh, for example, is is uh, particular to speaking about the cowherd boy pastimes or something like this. But in general, a teacher needs to be dis- uh, uh, detached, not attached, for example, to the idea that the student will learn things in a particular way. This is something that every teacher needs to to, to struggle with, this idea of, of uh, kind of thinking that knowledge is something that you can you can transmit mechanically from yourself to the student uh, sometimes it's it's likened to this idea that 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 the teacher is a, a pot of water and then you pour water or knowledge into the student but that's not how it works uh, what actually happens is that learning is something that is dynamic learning happens in the meeting point between the teacher and the student this is something that the Upanishads emphasize Uh, the teacher is above the student is below learning is in between learning is a dialectical process happens in the meeting of these two and what the student will learn will never be exactly what the teacher wants to teach that's why sometimes we can learn nothing from really good teachers and great amounts of things from really bad teachers so uh, a teacher needs to give up this idea that i'm in control of teaching Teacher needs to be detached to this. So uh, he begins Sutta by offering his obeisance, his uh, uh, respect to the son
0: of Vyasa. That means Shukadeva. And then he says... uh, He goes on, he says, let me offer
1: my respectful obeisances unto him, the spiritual master of all sages, the son of Yasudeva, who, out of his great compassion for those, who cr- those gross materialists who struggle to cross over the darkest regions of material existence, spoke this most confidential su- supplement to the cream of Vedic knowledge after having personally assimilated it by experience.
0: So the teacher needs to be detached. But of course, a teacher who is only detached
1: will have nothing to teach and no reason for teaching. So, Shukadeva, according to Sutta Goswami here, is the, the, the paradigmatic, the perfect example of a teacher who is detached, but also compassionate. This is why uh, he teaches the Srimad Bhagavatam to Parikshit. Because of Karunaya, or, or because of Karuna, that's the int- instrumental Karunaya, out of compassion, uh, he, he does so, he does teach this uh, Adyatmadipa, this light on, on the inner self. So, in this way, uh, Sutta is glorifying his teacher, Shukadeva. And then he says, and then a, this is another famous verse, This verse is found in all the Puranas. It's found in the Mahabharata as well. Having bowed to Narayana and to Nara, the best of all living beings, Well, let me read Prabhupada's translation. Before reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the very means of conquest, one should offer respectful obeisances unto the personality of Godhead Narayana, unto Narayana Rishi, the supermost human being, and the mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, and unto Shilavyasa Deva, the author.
0: So how can Suta
1: Goswami pay obeisance to Vyasa. <laughs> Vyasa is the next kind of generation in Bhagavatam speakers. We have uh, Shukadeva speaking to Parikshit, then Suta being there in the audience. So Suta is then speaking to the sages. And then Vyasa after that writes it down. So how can... How can Sutta offer respects to Vyasa?
0: Rajasundari, do you have any solution to this seeming paradox? Uh, I don't remember. I heard the explanation, but I don't remember.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think the answer is that Suta knows already that Vyasa is going to make this into a book because that's what Vyasa does. Vyasa means the compiler. So Vyasa's kind of uh, raison d'etre or or the very reason for his existence is to divide the Vedas and then to compile all of these texts. We will learn later that uh, uh, Vyasa
0: uh, has already written the Srimad Bhagavatam. Vyasa got the the order
1: from Narada that he's supposed to write the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, so he's already written, or or perhaps composed. We don't know whether he's done it uh, written written it down or just composed it in its in it in his head. But he's already composed the Srimad Bhagavatam. And then he teaches that Shrimad Bhagavatam to Shukadeva. And then Shukadeva teaches it to Sutta. And then Vyasa again writes down kind of the expanded Bhagavatam. So there are many Bhagavatams. The Bhagavatam that uh, uh, Vyasa teaches to Shuka is kind of like Bhagavatam version, version 1. Version 2 is an expanded version. Shukarev to Parikshit. Version three is a, a yet more expanded version, Sutta to the sages. And version four, which is again then Vyasa Dev's hand, is the version that we have in front of us. So Vyasa is kind of a double author. Uh, authorship can be very complicated in, in the, the uh, uh, Hindu tradition. And we have an example of that here. A book that is written uh, by the same author twice, but in different forms. So this is what, what uh, uh, Sutta is referring to here. Vyasa is the author of the first version of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. But also anticipating the fact that Vyasa is going to get come back to this text and put it down in, the, in ex, an expanded kind of fourth version in the future he's also offering respect to nara narayana these are two forms uh, of the lord they are important in the mahabharata we hear about a lot about nara and narayana in the mahabharata uh, we don't hear that much about them in the bhagavatam nara and narayana means god and man literally uh, these are kind of twin sages who who meditate in the Himalayas at Padrikashram. Narayana is Narayana, Vishnu. Nara is uh, a partial avatar of Arjuna. Sometimes it's said the opposite also that that uh, uh, Krishna. And Arjuna expansions so of Narayana, but it's a more complicated question than that. And it's something that uh, Aracharyas have dealt with, for example, Rupa Goswami has dealt with this in the in the Lagu Bhagavata Nevertheless, these are two forms that are important uh, for the sake of teaching. Badarika Ashrama is kind of a paradigmatic place of, of spiritual knowledge in the Himalayas. So Narayana, they are reciting deities of that place. Offering obeisance to Narayana is also a, a way of saying, I offer my respect to divinity, but I also offer my respect to man, to humanity. And this, of course, is an important point for every Vaishnava to consider. We offer our respects to God, but we also offer our respect to humanity. Humanity, after all, Jivas are a part of God. It's not something different. There is a kind of difference, but it's also the same. Bheda, Bheda, difference in unity. So, uh, it doesn't really make sense to respect god but not respect humanity or to respect god and not respect nature everything is krishna's energy so we are offering our respects with this verse to god and to humanity and devi Saraswati, the goddess of learning hoping that she will inspire us so that we will actually understand something as well <laughs> The Srimad Bhagavatam is one of the most difficult texts to understand. It's sometimes said that that the Srimad Bhagavatam is the pariksha of the pandit or the expert. A person who can understand the Bhagavatam is a person who actually has knowledge. Our task is made easier by all the commentators. There's so much difficult grammar, so many difficult words. Things like this that we don't even realize when we read the Bhagavatam in a translation. But the basic, the original text of the Bhagavatam is quite hard in places. So we need the help of Goddess Saraswati, Even when we are reading uh, a translation, there's so many things to figure out and to understand. Uh, we have help, of course. Sarasvati has helped previous Generations of Bhagavata readers. For myself, as I mentioned last time, uh, for these lectures, I've had much help of Bhakti tirtha Maharajas, Bhagavata Samlapa, where he deals with the the main discussions of the Srimad Bhagavata. And this has helped me to, to see really where the questions and where the answers kind of, which verses are part of which answer and so on. So Saraswati can appear to us directly as kind of intuitive or, or revealed knowledge or then through the agency of the rishis and the sages and the acharyas. So he's offering his respect, his respect to Narayana, Sarasvati, and again to Vyasa, the author. Prabhupada calls Srimad Bhagavatam our very means of conquest. It's one of these kind of terms of phrase, the Prabhupada uses in a very uh, beautiful way and something that is also quite memorable. When you re- heard this translation, you're going to remember it. When reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam are very means of conquest. And that means of conquest in the sense that we will hear about later, the Srimad Bhagavatam is something very special. It is a means of conquest over this material world. We may sometimes forget what kind of place this world actually is. Sometimes the sun is shining, the weather is beautiful, people are loving towards us. And we forget that this place is Dukkhalaya Mashashvatam. It is an abode of misery and it is temporary. There's always some war going on, there's always disease, there's always death. Uh, This is a terrible place the more we kind of get into the details of the news and so on, the more depressed we will be. It's a terrible place we're in. The Srimad Bhagatam is a means of conquest, a means of getting out of this whole
0: mess. So, uh, he says, Sutta Goswami, O sages,
1: I've been justly questioned by you. Your questions are worthy. Because they relate to Lord Krishna, and so are of relevance to the world's welfare. Only questions of this sort are capable of completely satisfying
0: the self. Uh, He says that
1: your questions are Loka Mangala. Therefore, the Mangala or the auspiciousness of the world. (laughs) That's no small thing to say. Your question is of auspiciousness for the world. They are, of course, because they are asking very relevant things. Uh, what is the supreme duty of humanity? What is it that satisfies the self? Tell us about Krishna and so on. And he says they are Loka Mangala because they are Krishna Sam They are questions dealing with Krishna. Sutta Goswami is a completely self-realized soul. He has been telling these different Puranas, the Kurma Purana, the Shiva Purana, and so on, also for the benefit of the world, Loka Mangala. People will be benefited by even the Tamasa Puranas because they need to gradually uh, uplift themselves from Tamas and Rajas. The Satvika Puranas are better, of course, but among all of them, the only witch, one which by which we can get Atma Suprasida. Complete satisfaction of the self is the Srimad Bhagavatam. And Suta here sees that the questions that they are putting to him is going to lead to the Srimad Bhagavatam. He can already see into the future this much. Sometimes it is said that these sages are Trikalagya. They know the past, the present, and the future. That doesn't always mean kind of a magical ability. Like uh, that you can sit down and like, mm, I know what the the numbers for next week's uh, uh, lottery is going to be. But rather, it can also mean the, the ability to kind of see ahead. We, can, we all have this to some extent. You can hear a question, for example, and you know what it's going to lead to. This person is now asking about this, but this is just a, a, a kind of, preparation for getting into that question about the fall of the jiva or whatever so he knows already that this kind of questions that they're asking me now this is going to lead to the shiman bhagavatam these are questions dealing with krishna so they are uh, questions whose the answers to which will be satisfying to the soul so the first five verses here, in the second chapter, are kind of introductory. And from the sixth, sixth verse, Suta begins answering the questions.
0: The first question, uh, which was
1: Pumsami uh, kantatasheyas tanno samsitumarhasi Tell us what is preeminently blissful for mankind, or what is preeminently good for mankind? That was the first question of the sages. Sutta so is going to answer that question in verses six through 13. So it's a, a number of verses. Almost all of these verses are extremely well known and extremely worthy of learning. The first one, the sixth verse of the second chapter. He repeats this thing about Atma Suprasidati, by which the soul can be Suprasidati or Samprasidati, completely satisfied. He says, The supreme occupation for all humanity is that by which men can attain to loving devotional service unto the transcendental Lord. Such devotional service must be unmotivated and uninterrupted to completely satisfy the self. Ashila Rupa Goswami Pad uses this as one of the the kind of uh, uh, brahmana verses for establishing his definition of bhakti. Ahaituki and apratihata, causeless and unbroken, So he begins his definition of bhakti here right at the beginning of his talk. He doesn't beat about the bush. He just gives this mangala, then he thanks for the questions, and then straight into it, bhakti is what will give suprasidata to the self. He uses an interesting word for
0: Krishna. He uses the word adhokshaja. Bhakti
1: Bhakti to Adhokshaja. Adhokshaja uh, means uh, uh, Prabhupada translates it as transcendence. Adhokshaja means uh, literally someone who is beyond our senses. Bhakti Pradip translates it as who does not expose him second himself to the limited human sense experiences. Somebody who's beyond the senses, Adhokshaja. And it's very important that this word Adhokshaja is used here. One thing that you can you can think about whenever you're reading the Shrimad Bhagavatam, if you're reading the Bhagavatam in a very detailed way, where we have time to think about individual verses and so on, always make a note of which, verse, which word. Which name for Krishna is being used? Almost always there's some reason for what name is used. Here, the meaning of using adhokshaja is to point out that bhakti, uninterrupted, uh, unmotivated love,
0: uh, is something transcendental.
1: Love is the most mundane thing we can have. There's nothing more binding nothing more ordinary than love it's something that people have been engaging in throughout history people will have different tastes different uh, hobbies different interests but love will always be there people have been enjoying and suffering from love in the same exactly the same way since the stone age there's no difference there So there's nothing more mundane, nothing more ordinary than love. But love for something that is transcendent, something that is beyond our mundane understanding, that is bhakti. Bhakti uh, needs to be directed towards this transcendent object. Sometimes we hear about bhakti in a secondary sense, as bhakti to to uh, your parents or bhakti to your your nation or something like that especially today you'll hear about things like that that's not bhakti according to the Bhagavatam. that's kind of an uh, uh, an abhasa or a shadow of bhakti the bhakti is directed towards transcendence it may look mundane but if it's directed towards transcendence, it is not.
0: So it's unmotivated and uh, uh, uninterrupted. And this
1: is the dharma of all people. There are so many dharmas. The student's dharma, the husband's dharma, the sister's dharma, the car mechanic's dharma the dharma of a dog, the dharma of whatever. Everybody has their own dharma. But there's one dharma which is para, or transcendent, or supreme. And
0: that is this bhakti towards adhokshaja.
1: So he goes on. He says, Vasudeve bhagavati bhakti yoga prayojitaha jana yatyashuvairagyam vyanam cha." Ja Yad Ahay to come. So what happens when we direct bhakti in this way, pure bhakti to Adhokshaja? he says. By rendering devotional service unto the personality of Godhead Shri Krishna, one immediately acquires costless knowledge and detachment from the world. Dhyana and Vairagya. These are
0: central terms in much of indian
1: spirituality knowledge and detachment many people think that in order to be spiritual you need to have understanding gnana means understanding in order to be spiritual you need to understand for example the nature of the world you won't be able to 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 tread the spiritual path until you understood who you are, what this world is, why you need to get away from here, and so on.
0: And you also need detachment. You
1: need to leave your family. You need to uh, leave your uh, sense of self, and so on. You need to give up everything, and then you can thread the spiritual path. You become a, a sage in the Himalayas, or something like that. Sutta Goswami says no. Rather, when we engage in bhakti yoga directed to the Lord, Vasudeva, then on itself, on its own, quickly, it says, Ashu, quickly, vairagya and unmotivated, causeless knowledge are going to appear. So these are byproducts of bhakti. There's a book called the Bhagavata Mahatmya. It's a, it's a book or it's actually a section, the Padma Purana. I think there's two Bhagavata Mahatmyas, Bhagavata Mahatmyas, but the most more famous one is part of Padma Purana. In this Bhagavata Mahatmya, uh, Bhakti is, is depicted in an allegorical way as a, as a lady, and she has two sons, and those sons are and vairagya so they come from her knowledge and detachment comes from bhakti it's not the opposite it's not that we need to detach ourselves and to understand things and then we engage in bhakti but it's the opposite it's not that we first need to learn to follow particular rules and regulations and then we engage in bhakti it's the opposite and i'm sure we've all had that experience as well Uh, We may be heard that it's good not to eat meat or so so forth. But then we just, uh, we we eat prasadam, we hang out with the devotees, we chant the holy name, and then we realize I shouldn't be doing those things. So then we stop them. It's not the opposite. It's not that they say that first you stop eating meat and then you can join the kirtan. And that's not just because this is some kind of modern, watered-down version of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's not. It's how the Bhagavatam teaches. Bhakti comes first. Jnana and Vairagya will come quickly, but they will come as a byproduct of Bhakti. This is also why Rupa Goswami, when he defines Bhakti, he says that Bhakti is actually uh, uh, unencumbered
0: by Jnana and Vairagya. Uh,
1: this is an important theological point. Bhakti is a, a part of its own. This is not how everybody understands bhakti. Ramanuja and Madhva, for example, the South Indian great Vaishnava teachers, they take bhakti to be a kind of jnana. Bhakti is a particular type of understanding, they say. But this is not the view of the Bhagavatam, and it's also not the view of our I'm just briefly speaking about these verses here so that we can get get on a few more verses for today. He goes on, eight verse. Another famous verse. All of these verses are famous. The occupational activities a man performs according to his own position are only so much useless labor if they do not provoke attraction for the message or the personality of Godhead. So he says, dharma svanushtita
0: All the dharmas, all the duties that people have.
1: If they do not give rise to love or rati or visvaksena katha or talk about uh, the supreme personality of godhead then it's shrama eva kevala. it's just useless labor <laughs> this is powerful text it's just shrama it's useless it's just a lot of work like a donkey carrying a burden if we're just using all of our time just taking care of our our jobs, worrying about our our careers, maintaining our families, taking care of our pets, taking care of our cars and houses. If it doesn't lead to us getting a taste for hearing and chanting about Krishna, then it's useless. This is an important verse because it can be taken in the other direction as well. If all of these things give us a taste, then they're not just ordinary things, taking care of a house, taking care of uh, children, and so on. Then they become part of bhakti. Uh, And that's, of course, the whole secret of of devotional household life, that everything in a household is connected to Krishna through the deity, through taking care of Vaishnava guests, through taking care of a Vaishnava spouse and so on. All of these things, they become part of the bhakti and they all make us, uh, they all strengthen our taste in Krishna Katha. So he defines bhakti. What is bhakti? Unmotivated, uninterrupted service to Adhokshaja. And here in this verse, in the eighth verse, he says, and then he said what bhakti is supposed to lead to, and then he says, the opposite, that which is not bhakti, that is just shrama; it's just work. And he goes on. dharmasya hyapavargasya narthor thayopakalpate nartasyadarmayikantasyah kamolabhaya hismrita All occupational engagements are certainly meant for ultimate liberation. They should never be performed for material gain. Furthermore, according to sages, one who is engaged in the ultimate occupational service should never use material gain to cultivate sense gratification. Uh, Here he is underscoring the difference between devotional and non-devotional activities. All occupational engagements, uh, all dharma, is meant for apavarga,
0: for attaining transcendence,
1: not for uh, artha upakalpa, not for just collecting riches, collecting uh, maintenance. I mean, that's mostly why we work. For example, we work to get the salary. But real dharma shouldn't be like this. Real dharma shouldn't just be about what can uh, I get in this world. Real dharma should aim at
0: the second, next world, at apavarga.
1: He goes on. jivasya tatvajigyasa nartoyas Life's desires should never be directed towards sense gratification. One should desire only a healthy life or self preservation, since a human being is meant for inquiry about the absolute truth. Nothing else should be the goal of one's works or the goal of one's dharma.
0: So, sense gratification
1: uh, becomes a problem on the spiritual path, not really because of sin. I mean, there's different kinds of sense gratification. The sense gratification, which is sinful, for example, when it's hurting others or when it's breaking the principles of of, uh, uh, kind of secondary dharmas. Uh, But the main spiritual problem of sense gratification is, of course, that it creates and strengthens attachment to unreal reality it's, it strengthens attachment to the body it strengthens attachment to our one's place one's uh, um, employer because that's the one who gives me the money and so on and so forth and the more we are attached to these kind of things the less we will be attached towards transcendence so he says it's better to live just uh, with the bare minimum, whatever you need for life, and then use your energy for tatvajjigasa, for inquiring about truth. And he goes on, because then, of course, the question is, if that's what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to inquire about the truth, tatvajjigasa. What is the truth? Eleventh verse of the second chapter. You might have heard this one before. Vadanti tatvavidas tatvam yad advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti Learned transcendentalists who know the absolute truth call this non-dual substance Brahman,
0: Paramatma, and Bhagavan. So this truth that we are supposed to inquire about is
1: non-dual reality. Advaya uh, Tatvam Yajjjnanam Advayam, Advaya Tatva, non-dual truth. But this non-dual truth
0: is known by three names. Brahma, Brahman, Paramatma
1: and Bhagavad. We've heard about these topics many times before. I don't need to go into the details here. The the main idea here is that uh, when people speak about transcendence, they usually speak about transcendence in one of these three forms. Uh, The divine or transcendence or God or whatever. These are big terms, and they are very broad terms as well. Somebody might say that my God is the feeling I get when I'm out, like in Finland, for example, quite often people will say that I feel the closest to God when I'm out walking in the forest. That's when I actually, can actually feel God. I feel this kind of, I get this overwhelming, maybe for even just one instance, but I get this feel that uh, there's
0: this huge world around
1: me all these trees all these living beings all those ants and mosquitoes and mooses and everything and all the all the all of nature is full of life and i'm a small and insignificant
0: being but i'm part of that reality
1: and everything is somehow connected (laughs) This is the ways in which Scandinavians, not only Finns, but Scandinavians, when they, sometimes if they have a very strong kind of spiritual experience, it will often be couched in these kind of words. Others will speak about the divine as being something which is within me. That I was looking for God
0: everywhere, and then I found him within myself.
1: And others will speak about God as a person. Not just that I have this sense of the divine somewhere vaguely around me, or the sense of the divine being within me, but the sense of
0: divine as a being that I can pray to and whose answer I can hear.
1: One teacher described these three in in a, I thought, very beautiful way, that Brahman, the first uh, understanding of of transcendence, is waking up to there being
0: something beyond me. Paramatma is starting uh, to realize that this divine is within me.
1: And then Bhagavan is hearing what this divinity is telling us. So you're getting closer and closer. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati gave the example of a train. Brahman is like seeing the train in the distance. It's kind of old-fashioned train, like in a movie, like a Western movie. You just see the, the, the stack of smoke, but the train is somewhere there. And Paramatma is is seeing the train closer up. You can see that it, it uh, uh, consists of a, a locomotive and, and uh, carriages. And Bhagavan is waiting till the train has stopped and then going up and speaking to the conductor and the driver and so on. So it's more intimate, more detailed forms of knowledge. But all of these forms of God are the same God, Advaita Tattva, the non-dual truth. So it's not that the Brahman realization is something bad or the Brahman realization is dangerous or wrong or incorrect or it's nothing like that. It's a totally uh, valid realization of the divine, as is Paramatma, as is Bhagavan there's not really in this verse any gradation between them this gradation will come to in uh, throughout in the Bhagavatam. there'll be be this would be uh, explained in detail but here it's just mentioned these three brahma paramatma bhagavan so so which one of these is kind of the best uh, depends on what our feeling
0: is our bhava towards the lord
1: that's where we kind of get a, a gradation. But from the point of view of, of Siddhanta, there's no difference between them.
0: And he then says uh, uh,
1: two more verses answering this first question. He says, Tatsraddhaddhāna munayu jñāna vairāgya yukhtaya chaatmanam bhaktiā the yeah. seriously inquisitive student or sage, well equipped with knowledge and detachment, realizes that absolute truth by rendering devotional service in terms of what he has heard from the Vedanta, Shruti. So, if we are to inquire about this truth, this non dual truth of Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, how do we do, do that? Sutta Goswami says that we should be, first of all, shraddhadhana Shraddhaddhana means seriously inquisitive, means a person who has Shraddhar, who has faith. Uh,
0: we should be equipped with knowledge and detachment. And then we will see uh, the self or the, the Paramatma within the self.
1: And how will we do that? Bhaktiya, shruta krihitaya. So we engage in bhakti, we get dhyana and vairagya, and then we go on engaging in bhakti. This is something which is unique to the path of bhakti. The path of bhakti is not just the means to an end, it's also the end itself. So we begin by bhakti, we go on with bhakti. So by engaging in bhakti, we will get gradually deeper and deeper understandings and then come to realize the self within the self or the super soul within the jiva self. And what kind of bhakti? Here's an important word. grihitaya, which is received by hearing. Uh, there are two kinds of knowledge in this world. Bhakti Siddhanta speaks about the descending and the ascending method. The ascending method of knowledge is where we find out things, where generations of scholars and, and scientists build upon previous knowledge. Somebody invented the steam machine, then they invent the, 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 the combustion engine, then they engage, invent, invent the atomic power, and so on and so forth. Everything is building on each other, slowly, slowly like this. Uh-huh. But there's also another kind of knowledge, and that is knowledge that comes from above, knowledge that is a revealed knowledge, which is not really dependent on us. We can't expect us to have more of this kind of knowledge just because we've, there are more uh, generations of bhaktas behind us. This is revealed knowledge. It's not dependent primarily on us. So bhakti is like this. Bhakti is something that is that descends to us, that is given to us from higher authority.
0: So bhakti is not something
1: that we invent, something that we, we uh, uh, develop and we come up with new forms of. We receive bhakti from our gurujanas or our authorities, and then we do with that the best we can. And yes, it may take different forms. The kind of bhakti we engage in will not be exactly the same that our gurus engaged in, but it will be more or less the same because we've received it from them. Uh, And then we need to, to, to work with what we have and then gradually... Uh, advance. And then uh, the final verse on the first question. best among the twice born. It is therefore concluded that the highest perfection one can achieve by discharging the duties prescribed for one's occupation according to case divisions and orders of life is to please the personality of Godhead. So all of the Varnashrama duties, they are meant for samsiddhi haritoshanam, for,
0: for uh, complete, uh,
1: completely pleasing Hari, pleasing the Lord. So this is the answer to the first question of the sages. <laughs> Sutta Goswami took... took uh, uh, a number of verses to answer the first question one out of six and this is where we are out of time for today so i'm 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 ending here we still have five more questions to go so so i'll continue with that the next time but before ending uh do you have any question Braja? Doesn't seem like Brother Sundari has any question today. In that case, I want to thank you and anybody else who is listening. Thank you for re- for your attention. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to, to speak on the Srimad Bhagavatam, to glorify the Srimad Bhagavatam, to glorify Suta Goswami, to glorify Bhakti Pradip Tirta Maharaj, to glorify my Guru Maharaj. Um, I hope that you will get something out of this lecture and particularly I hope that you will get inspired to read the Srimad Bhagavatam on your own. Thank you very much. Chai mm-hmm. Shishi Guru Gauranga Gandharvika Giri Dari Radha Madan Mohan Radha Gopindar Radha Gopinatha Radha Damadar Rada Shamsundar Radha Damadar Radha Gokrunanda Radha Maanav Dautri Gopal Nitaigo Shisharabu Giri Dajagopalaki Chai Chai Mishparvarang Supra Vrajka Chavya Stotarasta Shishimad bhakti <imitation> viranta <imitation> tripurari debo somaraj la guride ki jai jai nitile prishthamshna pad bhakti viranta swami maharaj la praupar ki jai jai nitile prishthamshna pad bhakta rakshak chede debo ki jai Jai tilele prishthamshna aur bhaktisranta sar sudebo la praupar ki jai jai gorki shradhas Babaji maraj ki jai jai Shadirana ananmoy tak god ki jai jai vaishnav sarva omashla tagnath pabji maraj ki jai Jai goari veranta acharya shala baladi bidibhushan prabhu ki. Jai jai shala vishna chakradhita kwa ki. Jai jai shi nivashna marana naramottam Jai jai shala krishna daska viraj Jai jai shi virenda vandastha ki. Jai jai rirupana saanatna batar vanata shi. Jai 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 shri shri gaur ki, jai jai vrindavai Rindki jai jai shri vrindavan Damki dam, jai jai shri navadeep maya puradam jai jai shri kshetra mandala Puri, dam, ki, jai jai shri madhavandam ki jai jai gaur Premanande, hari hari bolo